Are you listening to this on Spotify right now? You should be. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. Premium Spotify users can download episodes to listen to offline, so wherever you are, you can hear me. It'll be like we're on that vacation in the mountains together. And of course, you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends on Instagram. If you haven't done so already, be sure to download the Spotify app and search for Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. Or you can browse to find new podcasts in the tab marked Your Library. Oh, and make sure to follow me so you never miss an episode of Be Reasonable. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. The tumbleweed is tumbling across the empty plain. It's high noon for Friday, July 31st, 2020. So high noon is actually a little after high noon today, but uh, it's high noon somewhere. The reason for that delay is because I was watching the congressional testimony of Anthony Fauci, uh, Robert Redfield from the CDC, and uh, Admiral Brett Jawah, who is the Assistant Secretary for Health at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And the testimony, as most of these things are, I've now watched three of them this week, and they're all like three or four hours long. So it's hard to say you should watch it, but if you care about the coronavirus thing, it's kind of worth it to watch the whole thing. You can skip the opening statements and the closing statements, but the questioning is really interesting. The answers are really interesting. Um, it's always important when you're watching these things to f try to figure out which congressmen and women are asking questions to score political points and which ones are asking questions to get answers. Um, Jim Jordan was awesome today. He's usually pretty awesome, but he completely grilled Anthony Fauci um, over the issue of whether or not protests were safe. And Fauci declined to answer uh, whether or not protesting should be limited because he said that that was basically above his pay grade, that that wasn't his issue. Uh, he did say that anytime there is a crowd of people especially if they're not wearing masks, then there is a greater chance for transmission of the virus and acquisition of the virus, I think was the uh, word he used. And, of course, anybody could figure that out. It's amazing that he doesn't have the wherewithal to simply state the obvious truth. Um, that's obviously political as well because he doesn't want the headline that says Anthony Fauci says that protests are a vector for spread. And, you know, some of the Democrats responded by by basically reading into the record news reports 
these articles that were written, you know, days and in the first week or so after the protests where health experts said that there was no proof that the virus had spread during the protests. That is completely false. And Democratic politicians, including L.A.'s own Eric Garcetti, have recognized the truth, the fact that the virus did spread at the protests. Um, that wouldn't be a big deal the way Fauci answered it, because I'm fine when people answer things on a purely factual basis in accordance with what their job is. Anthony Fauci is right when he says it is not his job to advise specific policies, especially when it comes to something like the First Amendment and people's rights. That's fine. He did not exercise that same hesitance early in the pandemic when he went on CNN and advocated for nationwide lockdowns, even though the administration hadn't suggested that and that that wasn't administration policy. One of the funniest things about the hearing today was that Democratic Congress members in particular tried to draw a line between, quote unquote, the administration and what the health expert witnesses were doing. The health expert witnesses all work for departments that are part of the administration. All right. All those government agencies are run by the executive branch. There was a long list of questions. I think this was Steve Scalise asking Fauci um, about whether or not he was in line from a medical standpoint with Trump's China travel ban, the Europe travel ban. Fauci answered yes to both of those questions, that he had advised on both of those policies and that both of those policies did indeed, by his estimation, save lives. And that Trump has... He, he went through a list of all the things that Trump and Fauci have coordinated on policy wise, stuff that the administration has taken and put into place. And Fauci agreed that, yes, the administration had complied with his part of the administration um, and that he and Trump were very much in line on all of the policies that had been enacted. And so they reverted to saying that the president hadn't displayed through his actions and statements the same level of compliance. So, I mean, I guess if you want to nitpick, you can go ahead and do that. All the formal policies were in place. It was also made clear that the states that chose not to follow the guidance on nursing homes and chose instead to put people, sick patients into nursing homes was undoubtedly responsible for more deaths. And that wasn't Republicans who did it. You can look at the curves now. You can look at the information now as these curves have all come down, including in Florida. I talked about this a little bit on the pod, on the, uh, on Instagram yesterday. Um, but when you compare the Southern states to New York, there is, no comparison. There is a massive, massive spike in New York, a bigger one than any other place in the world. No place in the entire world has had their COVID policy run as poorly as New York. On every possible standard, this is true. 
Now, Anthony Fauci said that um, that the reason that countries in Europe had more success than America had in controlling the virus by their definition of control because they had implemented 95% lockdowns, whereas we had not because it was left up to the states. Now, that is just preposterous because, first of all, they didn't implement 95% lockdowns, all right? And the states here that had the most stringent lockdowns did not fare the best. There's no argument to be made there, okay? He is taking the term lockdown, applying it how he would like to what the extent of their lockdowns was, and then imagining that, that, that those lockdown policies across Europe were the same across Europe. They were not. And he's comparing those to lockdown policies in the United States as if all the states had the same lockdown policies. They did not. And the states with the most stringent lockdown policies had the worst results. All right? I don't know how that stuff can be any clearer. You can look at Sweden and see what they did. You can see the death rates. And they did not lock down. They barely used restrictions. Okay? And then we get to something like masks. You know, there's been a couple articles out in the last few days about how neither Sweden nor Denmark were recommending mask usage because mask usage is pointless. Here is what Sweden's uh, uh, Anders Tegnell, who is the country's chief epidemiologist, said about the mask policy going forward. He said, with, num- with numbers diminishing very quickly in Sweden, we see no point in wearing a face mask in Sweden, not even on public transport. And here is more from this article in Financial Review. Sweden isn't completely alone. The Dutch government on Wednesday said masks wouldn't be mandatory as mask use could breed complacency over social distancing. And if they weren't worn correctly, they could increase transmission risks. Now. Oh, wait, let me read one more quote here. Because from a medical perspective, there is no proven effectiveness of masks. The cabinet has decided that there will be no national obligation for wearing non-medical masks, said medical care minister Tamara Van Ark. In the same article, they mentioned the WHO's position and says they acknowledge that the widespread use of masks by healthy people in the community setting is not yet supported by high quality or direct scientific evidence. So unless you want to say that Sweden and Denmark's health officials and government officials are stupid or anti-science or not following the science, It's real, real hard to make any case that says masks are a relevant or important part of stopping coronavirus spread. All right. Which is not to say they have absolutely no effect. I've talked about this a million times. Maybe, maybe they do. 
Maybe it's an outlier effect. The possibility that some respiratory droplet could jettison from your mouth into someone's eye is possible, okay? The likelihood of that, especially from a fucking stranger that you're not even around, is very low. And they talked about this in the hearing with no objection from the medical officials, talking about the standards of disease transmission. That it was basically only with sustained contact with someone who had symptoms. I don't know how many times this can be repeated until people will get it. All right. Yes. Medical people have to say if there is any risk of a certain behavior. And so they do say that there are certain risks, even when those risks are extreme outliers. And they're not being irresponsible for doing that. What is irresponsible is when politicians and media figures take those outlier risks and portray them as actual, real-life, high-probability risks, okay? If we want to talk about outlier risks for disease and death in the country, we can have that conversation. But there are plenty of high-risk activities that we allow. People are allowed to jump off mountains in squirrel suits and fly around between cliffs. That has a risk for dying too. What in the world are we even talking about anymore? And the funny thing about the whole Sweden and Denmark thing, of course, is that the same people who are adamantly browbeating their neighbors over masks are the ones who say that they want our medical policy specifically and our economic policy more generally to mirror Sweden and Denmark because Bernie Sanders uses them as the examples of good democratic socialism, good socialism. That's what Sweden and Denmark are, except they're not socialist. And they're the white countries practicing socialism. It doesn't work out so well in Latin America. It doesn't work out so well in Asia. But apparently, Sweden and Denmark are immune from this problem. So they do the good kind of socialism, except when it comes to mask use and except when it comes to whether or not the society is going to lock down. So those being the most morally righteous standpoints of this particular set of people. It's odd that they don't see these inconsistencies because I think normal people do see these inconsistencies. And when you see these inconsistencies and they always go one direction and that direction is toward whatever those people always wanted anyway, you can pretty much dismiss everything these people are saying about this shit. Sweden, when it's compared to New York in people's minds, they're like, well, yeah, but you know, New York city has such a dense population and Sweden, you know, yeah, they have some cities, but it's not New York. And then the rest of the country isn't the same. Okay. The rest of New York state isn't the same. I grew up in a town of 500 people in the country in upstate New York. And there's a lot of towns like my town. And 
Population density is no issue there. So even when you just take Stockholm, Sweden's densest city, and compare it to the entire state of New York, Sweden still beats them on every single measure by leaps and bounds. All right. There is no argument to be made about population density there. There is no argument to be made about mitigation strategies there. All right. They just didn't put tons of people into nursing homes, nor did they record murders and motorcycle accidents as COVID deaths. All right. All of this is insane. And so let's talk about hydroxychloroquine for a moment because that's been in the news a lot. And I think people are familiar with my position as it's always been that it absolutely doesn't harm people. And the studies, the three studies that came out showing that it might were all retracted, including from major journals, but that, uh, the, the drug had yet to prove its, uh, efficacy and the proof of the efficacy was based on clinical experience from doctors and their own testimony toward their own clinical experience. The drug is still used and prescribed around the world. Okay. Yesterday, there was a very well-conducted study, a totally legitimate study that shows no efficacy from COVID. I mean, from hydroxychloroquine. And that is important new information. So what that means to me is that something else should be prescribed and not hydroxychloroquine, but that if a doctor has seen the effects themselves and the patient wants to try that as a treatment, they should be allowed to. That's just simple right to try morality. Like if somebody is worried about dying and they want something and their doctor agrees that that might help them, they should be able to get that thing. All right. Until a study comes out that shows it actually hurts people. I have no problem with doctors and patients using it because although that test was totally legitimate, it's not the only piece of information in the world. All right. And so I think that that is probably the best way to approach that drug at this point. The fact that there are other therapeutics that people believe work better means those are the therapeutics that should be used when we have access to them. And there's nothing about saying that that takes away from how the hydroxychloroquine narrative played out. And that is still a massive disgrace. And here's a piece of, of rooted knowledge in the world, not direct knowledge, but it is rooted, right? So in the mix up with, over the hydroxychloroquine in the videos and all that, Ohio's board of health or something, I should have looked it up. I forgot to, they, uh, they were going to bar the use of hydroxychloroquine a day later yesterday. Governor Mike DeWine reversed that and made it possible for hydroxychloroquine to still be used. Now, governors don't override things like that without good reasons. All right. And so when it came to finally banning the use, someone stood up and made sure that didn't happen. And you can feel about that however you want, but it should be noted that someone in that position 
would not do that without good information on the other side, that they believe there might be some use to it and it should still be made available. All right. Um, Moving on from that, let's talk about the mail-in balloting. All right. Um, So Trump addressed this at his press conference yesterday at length to reporters. And again, I don't know how many times I can emphasize this. You have to watch the entire press conferences, listen to the things he says, find out if the things he says are true, not if the media says they're not true and not if the media leads you to believe that he's actually saying something else or something we all know, or this conflicts with history. Like there have been so many reports that there is no voter fraud. Okay. There's also like 1200 open cases right now. And then just yesterday in Los Angeles, four men were arrested because they were paying homeless people to cast ballots in elections. And if that doesn't offend your sense of what is right and what is wrong and how people are treating homeless people, I, I don't know where your morality is at. All right. The idea that that practice is to make sure that homeless people have the right to vote is utterly absurd because the guys wouldn't have been arrested if that's what it was. The, the uh, LA uh, district attorney's office declined to state what group these men were involved with. I imagine that the DA's office in LA County in LA city, Eric Garcetti and all democratic officials. If that was Republicans trying to commit voter fraud, you can damn well believe it would be out there in the press. All right. I don't know that to be true, but yeah, I do. And so you look at this stuff right in the mix of everything else. There are plenty of these stories and the idea that this doesn't open that mail-in balloting nationwide mail-in balloting, which means every single registered voter gets a ballot. The idea that that doesn't introduce fraud into the system is utterly insane. Okay. LA County has 112% of its population registered to vote. That means a full 12% of the ballots that get sent to LA County residents will be duplicates or people that have moved or people that are dead. It might be people that live in other counties or other states. How is this a good thing for democracy? I have not heard one reasonable argument about that. And it's especially silly when they start defining victim classes by that. Oh, well, it hurts old people. It hurts minorities. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Because the same methods required to vote by mail are used to request mail-in balloting. That is all you have to do is request the mail-in ballot and then it comes to you. Donald Trump yesterday said that that was a good thing, but that's not good enough somehow. So the people that are competent to fill out and return the mail-in ballot are not competent to request the mail-in ballot. Does that make sense to anybody? There is more than enough time 
between now and the election to find someone, if you are incompetent, to find someone who can request your mail-in ballot for you. This is utterly absurd. And saying that you are opposed to nationwide mail-in balloting is in no way voter suppression. Here's what is voter suppression. And I'm, again, you can call this a conspiracy theory if you like. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to tell you that this is happening. I'm trying to provide an example for something that could happen. So as you watch the narrative, you can see if it plays out this way and be in tune with something that might be going on. Okay. So right now, California has a system. I've talked about this before where they are putting homeless people into hotels and they are feeding these people and they are giving them drugs and alcohol because, you know, they wouldn't want people to be in withdrawal in their hotel room during coronavirus. Now, across the nation, I am not aware, and you guys know that I'm on this shit four hours, six hours, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day sometimes, okay? I am not aware of one case in the entire nation, not one article that has talked about rapid spread of coronavirus through homeless communities. If the virus operates how we believe it does, how they say it does, how is it that communities with no health care, no masking, no social distancing, nothing required whatsoever, aren't falling, dropping like flies? How is that possible? But apparently it is possible because that's what reality shows you. So we don't need to look at studies and say, oh, they're in, in ultimate danger. No, they're not. Because if they were, something bad would have already happened. And so they take homeless people, they put them into hotels and feed them and give them drugs and say, hey, this is your democratic social policy at work. And then they get full mail-in balloting. And then they make sure to walk all the mail-in ballots right into the hotel rooms. Right? Because, of course, these are registered voters. So why not get them an address where they can receive their mail-in ballot? And then once we have mail-in balloting for everyone, all we then have to do is say, here's a spike. There's a spike. Everywhere, a spike, spike. And then they say, well, you know, thank God we have this mail-in ballot system in place. Thank God we got everybody a ballot because it is so dangerous to go vote that no one should do it. As a good, healthy, responsible citizen, as part of your community, stay home. Do your mail-in ballot. Don't go to in-person voting. And then what happens? A couple weeks later, someone comes out and says, according to our estimates, the need for in-person voting has declined due to the mail-in ballot policy. And then they congratulate themselves on how many people are going to do mail-in ballots rather than in-person ballots, justifying their prior position, even though that piece of knowledge does not justify their prior position. And then they get to say, well, due to less demand for in-person voting, 
we are going to close down voting centers here and there. That is what voter suppression looks like. Okay. And they're able to do that in a targeted way. They can specifically address communities. This is the shit that Democrats talk about and lie about over and over and over again throughout years. Stacey Abrams, for instance, was not a victim of voter suppression. I've said this on the podcast before. I don't like repeating myself, but I want to hammer the point home. More black Georgians came out to vote in her midterm election, then voted in the presidential election in 2016. Stacey Abrams lost her election because she didn't get as many votes. There have been fact checks on this by organizations that people on the left trust to do fact checks. Stacey Abrams still does not accept the results of her election. John Kerry still does not accept the results of his election. Al Gore still does not accept the results of his election. Hillary Clinton still does not accept the results of her election. And neither do, neither does the Democratic Party. Who in their right mind thinks that a voter purge of registered voters who are no longer alive, who no longer live at their address, who no longer live in the state, who might be registered in another state, who thinks that that voter purge is bad, but what Democrats are trying and may be trying and may do is good for the health of elections. That is utterly insane. And I'm sure a bunch more insane shit is going to come out. I am uh, currently reading the massive document dump from the Epstein, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell case. There's crazy shit in there. There are accusations in there of Alan Dershowitz um, participating in uh, the sexual exploitation of minors. There are allegations of Prince Andrew doing that. And there seem to be allegations that put Bill Clinton very close to that possibility as well. There is obviously quite a lot more to come out. Um, Dershowitz himself has uh, been engaged in legal battles for years, trying to make sure that none of these accusations ever see the light of day. The FBI was directly responsible and directly involved in covering up information from these sexual abuse and sexual exploitation victims at the hands of Epstein and Maxwell and powerful people in politics, business, royal families, world affairs, huge names. This is what it says in the witness depositions. The fact that the FBI is responsible for covering that stuff up in 2008 and 2009, maybe in 2010, I can't remember the exact dates. I'll get back to you with that. But this is stuff that happened while Robert Mueller was the director of the FBI. This is stuff that happened while Barack Obama was president. And then we go to the end of that term, of Barack Obama's term, and we see that there was more FBI abuse, which is coming out every single day about the Trump and Russia thing. If you still believe Trump colluded with Russia, then you do not care about facts. If you think that there is no chance that the Obama 
and Biden administration, along with Susan Rice, James Clapper, Jim Comey, John Brennan, Samantha Power. These aren't small names in the Obama White House. And knowing that the FBI was directly involved with all of this stuff and that all of these people were engaged in governmental abuses of power to undermine the incoming Trump administration should be a national scandal. It's not. Why is it not? Because the media is not covering it. And this stuff is going to come out unless Trump loses, of course. Hopefully it will come out even if he loses, but I am very, very doubtful about that. But the idea that we are supposed to now trust an FBI that covered up allegations of sexual abuse against minors, against some of the most powerful men in the world, we're supposed to believe that they were operating under sound and just principles while trying to undermine an incoming administration and disrupt the peaceful transfer of power. That is one of the worst things I have ever heard. And I hope it's not true, right? I'm not saying all the information is out yet. I'm open to the possibility that everything went just fine, but it sure doesn't seem to be. And so I'm going to leave you there. Uh, I hope everybody had a good week. I will be back on Monday unless I decide to talk at you prior to that. Hopefully I will have the new episode fully written uh, with the breakdown of everything that media and Democrats have gotten wrong that have created the crisis situation that we're in. Um, And uh, please uh, share this with your friends and follow at I'm your moderator on Instagram and Twitter. If you guys have questions, you can e- always email me at hey moderator at I'm your moderator.com. And uh, I'll see you on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Listen to more Hopes Fall. Hopes Fall is a band. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
If you like the show, please share it with your friends and give it a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts so new listeners can take your word for it. You can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at I'm Your Moderator. If you have feedback, you can email heymoderator at imyourmoderator.com or use the hashtag heymoderator on Twitter. If you'd like to support the show, search Be Reasonable on Patreon, where I'll have additional daily-ish segments in a special podcast feed of the show, as well as my writing and audio readings of those articles. You can also go to anchor.fm slash be reasonable and become a supporter there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Be reasonable. Acting as moderator for tonight's broadcast.